Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Aren't you thankful, man, that God applied that blood to your heart, your life? Amen. Can we just praise the Lord this morning? Put your hands together and just say, thank you, Jesus. I wanted to shout a little bit, but I didn't know. I wanted to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Um, this morning, if you will, uh, if you got your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 3. I know some of y'all are wondering, when am I going to get to the New Testament? I know. If y'all been with me, we talk, we've been talking about these God encounters. And I know some of you are going to say, all right, but uh, JJ, uh, Jesus is fully God. Yes, he is. So every place in the New Testament, every place in the Gospels that he is, someone's encountering the living God. I mean, and that's true. Uh, however, I'm trying to use discernment on which passages to look at. And, uh, uh, and really this morning, it's going to be uh, a familiar passage, I think, with most of us, probably so. And even so myself. But it was something this week, just really wrestling with this text. Um, in, in, in what to share, how to share, and just what the Lord wanted to bring to light for us today. It's John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Uh, it's a familiar passage. Y'all know it about Nicodemus when he comes to the Lord at night. Let, I, I want to just read with you, or you follow along if you will. I'm just going to read the uh, first few verses here. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Well, how can a man be born again when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter his a second time into his mother's womb to be born. But Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, unless, uh, I said, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. <clears throat> you shouldn't be surprised at me saying this. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you can't tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher. And you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you, you, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. Then how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Father, we come before you right now in the precious name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, let your word come alive and speak to our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So when I read this passage of Scripture, I'm going to assume that most of us in here have read John chapter 3 before and heard about Nicodemus, uh, Nick at night, who came to the Lord under the cloak of darkness. <clears throat> and, 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 and so when I kind of break this down... Uh, first thing is we want to talk about Nicodemus. A couple things here we see in verse 1. He is a Pharisee. Now, whatever you think about Pharisees, uh, connotations or whatever it may be, yes, Jesus had many encounters with Pharisees in the first century in his public ministry. <clears throat> the Pharisees were an, uh, an elite 
religious party. The name itself derives from the Greek word to separate. In other words, they were the separate ones. They were the ones that were kind of called out in their day to live their lives differently than everybody else. I mean, and they were zealous. Zealous for the, for the law and for obeying the law. Um, if you really dig down deep, they created laws around the laws. They, they became very meticulous about not breaking the law. And as a result, they became this kind of separate group of people. Now, let me just say to you, they were extremely popular in the first century. Um, they, uh, many folks think they kind of came out of this common, popular middle class. If they, I don't even know if there was a middle class back in the day, but, but they had a great amount of influence on what we'd call the common folks. And, uh, and, and, and rightly so. Um, now, I say that because not everybody looked at the Pharisees in a negative light, and I'm not sure that, I mean, we kind of paint a negative picture about them. Uh, they were well-respected among the people. Well-respected. Uh, these were the people that uh, would give insight and understanding in, in all kinds of religious affairs, activities, the Word of God. In fact, um, uh, most of the Pharisees had what we would consider most of what we call the Old Testament committed to memory. I mean, it would have been just part of their everyday life, right? Uh, not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a part of the Jewish ruling council, which is a step up. I mean, it's not just a Pharisee, which is a group of people, but now he's a part of this group, the Sanhedrin. Uh, uh, some say they trace their roots back to the 70 elders who assisted Moses back in Numbers 11. Either way you look at it, in the first century, this group, this Sanhedrin, exercised a wide range of powers, be it civil, criminal, and religious. These were the elite uh, government underneath the Jewish, uh, over the Jewish people. I mean, they were the ones they would have gone to for all kinds of matters, and he was a part of that group. So, bottom line, he was well known, uh, not just among his peers, but among the people. They would have known who Nick was. So, so we notice in verse 2 and 3, the Scripture tells us that he came to Jesus at night. So let's look here because there's a conflict going on in Nick's mind. There's a conflict going on. And so what do I mean by that? He comes to Jesus at night. Now, now again, if you look at some commentators, he's doing this because he's afraid of what his peers may think. Uh, he's afraid someone may see him with Jesus kind of having this intimate conversation. So he comes under the cloth of darkness to try, to try to hide himself a little bit because there's a conflict. In other words, you've got to understand, he's a religious leader and now, but, 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 but even it, with all the knowledge he has and all that he understands, there's something not right inside of him. Spiritually, intellectually, there's, some, there's a struggle, there's a conflict going on, so he comes to Jesus at night. Now, some commentators would say, look, he would come to Jesus at night. Why? Because when you look at Jesus' ministry in the daytime, people were, were all around him. I mean, I mean, there were there were crowds by this time in Jesus' ministry, there were crowds of people showing up every every place he went. In fact, uh, if you if, back in chapter two, verse twenty-three, he's at Jerusalem. The Bible says, "Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name." So, in other words, he's the, uh, Jesus is doing a public ministry, and many people are coming. People are being healed. There's a show going on. I'm telling you what, he's drawing a crowd wherever he is in public. I mean, and rightly so. And so some would say that Nick came to him at night because he wanted to have this intimate conversation with him because he really couldn't do it during the daytime. But bottom line, there's a conflict going on. Now notice he calls him rabbi. So even though he's got a conflict in his mind, he knows there's something not right with his thoughts, his, 
religious beliefs. There's something going on here. He acknowledges that Jesus, he calls him by rabbi. And that, by the way, that's a term of endearment, a term of respect. In other words, when he calls Jesus rabbi, in his world, that was, a, that was a term you wouldn't just give to any person. But this was a person that was knowledgeable of the scripture, and not just knowledgeable, but, but obviously is set apart to teach. So he is, when he calls him by that, it's a, it's a term of respect and endearment. I mean, he very much so would have respected him in this regard. Um, we know you, and now, now look at this. We know you're a teacher. This is what he said. We know you're a teacher that has come from God. Now, again, Nick is a part of that Sanhedrin. There probably were other leaders in that group that acknowledged, hey, he, he must be from the Lord. Why? For no one could do these miracles you're doing unless God is with him. The miracles. What miracles? Changed lives. People have been delivered, set free. Some have come to faith in Christ and been totally delivered, set free from demonic activity, all kind of things going on. I mean, yeah, I mean, so, so what about the miracles here? Even in the first century, in other words, here's, here's a religious leader who thought he had all of it figured out, and yet he sees Jesus, this rabbi, he acknowledges from the Lord. How does he know it? Because the evidence is in his preaching and teaching lives are being changed. I would submit to you, even today, when lives are changed by the Lord, it messes with people that are unchurched. What do we do with the miracles even today? I mean, I don't know where you are. God's still doing miracles today. I mean, He is. Now, you, when God sets a person free from sin and changes their life, He goes back to work. He's not the same person. I promise you, people around Him are going to say, what in the world's wrong with you? What's different about you? They're going to see and take notice of the change in your life. Now, some have come from, from you might share your testimony. Some of you have seen miracles happen. I mean, listen, miracles happen all the time. I mean, a little bit later on, he's going to talk about being born again. He's going to talk about birth. I mean, that's a miracle, right? If you've ever been there, witnessed that, been a part of that, it's a, I don't care what you say, how you want to define it, it's just a miracle of God when a life comes into this world. It's an incredible miracle, right? So what about the miracles? The miracles begin to move this Jewish Pharisee to a place where he acknowledges something's not right with me. And I'm talking about in his mind. He, things aren't meshing up with him. And that, listen, that's not a bad thing. When all of a sudden you get to that point and you're, low, and you're going to yourself, something's different, something's wrong, something, something's not right on the inside, that's not a bad thing. Don't resist that. Embrace that. He kind of leans into it and goes to Jesus. And he says to him, he makes the comment, we know you're a teacher from God. We, we, we know that because of the miracles, uh, miraculous signs you're doing. What's interesting is this, in this comment, it's just a beautiful conversation. Let me just say this. As I've wrestled with this text, I've preached this many times before. I really want us to get into the life of Nicodemus here. In other words, Nick comes and he acknowledges all these peripheral things. Notice in verse 3, Jesus answers the unasked question. Nick never brings it up. I don't know if you ever had a conversation with somebody and you're hemming all around it. You're on the peripheral and you're wondering, how do, I get, how do I get to the real point, to the real issue? Jesus, does, he hears all this and he makes these comments, but Jesus answers the unasked question. What does he say? I tell you the truth. Your Bible may say, verily, verily. 
In the Greek, it's amen and amen. It's only in John's gospel these two words, this phrase is used. And every time it's used, it's talking about uh, something that is uh, 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 the importance, the significance of what's about to follow. It's the same phrase he would use when he talked about the crucifixion, when he talked about Christ's resurrection. So, so when we hear this, verily, verily, I know we, in, my, in the NIV it says, I tell you the truth, what's about to come next is absolutely critical for you, Nicodemus. And what does he say? No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So there's a conflict in Nick's mind. It leads to this confusion in Nick's theology. We see this. And and please hear the words. Jesus, when he uses the word kingdom of God, this was nothing new to Nick. He understood clearly what he was talking about. And yes, there's a general rule or, or, or universal understanding of God's kingdom, reigning and ruling sovereign power over all the world. The Bible speaks of that. He's over all creation, right? But that's not what's on Jesus' mind nor Nick's. He's specifically speaking about the kingdom of salvation. This would have been a very messianic term. The the nation of Israel was looking for the Messiah. They would have known this. And so he's saying this reigning rule, this kingdom of salvation, this spiritual realm. What does Jesus mean? This is a place where those who have been born again by divine power through faith now live under the reigning, ruling sovereignty of God mediated through his Son. Nick and his friends would have anticipated this realm. They would have longed for this day. They knew it was coming. Unfortunately, we see it in here. Nick and his other friends thought that being a descendant of Abraham, observing the law, or performing these activities, these religious activities, would gain them entrance into this kingdom. There is the confusion, the frustration. I'll probably say this again. Some of the hardest, most difficult, most challenging people to reach with the gospel are religious people. People people that know enough to say things the right way. To use the right words at the right time. And they come to church. They're faithful to church. But void of an intimate personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. So, so, so the confusion in Nick's theology, this kingdom of God, he's, in fact, Jesus says, unless you're born again, you won't see this kingdom. He's been looking for it. That's the reason he comes here at night. He knows there's a conflict, there's a struggle here. Jesus uses this word, born again. In fact, in the Scripture, it could be rendered born from above or born of the Spirit. In fact, uh, Wiersbe would say, just as there are two parents in a physical birth, so there are two parents in a spiritual birth. What do we mean? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. We know this, right? I'm going to hang on here just for a minute. 1 Peter, y'all know this, just reminding you. Chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, there's that word, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, what? Through the living and enduring Word of God. So we see this confusion. It not only goes on, but you see kind of this, this, this confusion kind of leads him to a place. It's almost 
climactic here in one sense, where Jesus says to him very clearly in verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. He says, why are you surprised at me saying you must be born again? Why is Nick surprised? Now, I don't know if you have a moment here, but I'm going to pause here and go back to Ezekiel, one of the prophets. I'm going to go back here. Because why is Nick surprised? How is it possible that Nick is surprised? Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to the words of the prophet. This is where he's prophesying a day's going to come. Verse 24. This is him, Ezekiel the prophet. For I will take out of the nations, multiple nations, the people, literally, around the world. I will gather you from all countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities, from all your idols. Here it is. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you, uh, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees careful to, and be careful to obey all of my laws. So here in one of the prophets, Nick would have known this prophet. In fact, he would have understand the reference. So Jesus is a little surprised and calls him out and said, well, how are you, how are you surprised that, there's, that, uh, that I'm saying you've got to be born again? Don't you remember what the prophet Ezekiel said? You can't enter this kingdom with a heart of stone. There's got to be a conversion, a change. I mean, the theological regeneration. You've got to be born again. You can't take this heart of stone, this callousness, and enter into the kingdom. I don't care how religious you are. He said, you've got to be alive. How are we born again? From above, from the Spirit. He says, I'm going to put my Spirit in you. I'm going to cleanse you. And I'm going to do this, thus the Lord, from His grace. He provides this. Why are you shocked? Why are you surprised? We can go on. Let me, just, let me just share another one. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah the prophet declared, There's a time coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It won't be like the old covenant made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. Here it is. I will put my law into their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. Very personal here. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or brother saying, Know the Lord. No, no, no. Because they will all know me. That's a, that's a huge word. Gnosko in the Greek. It's a personal, intimate, knowing knowledge of the Lord. All of them will know me. From the least to the greatest. To the most learned or not so learned. The powerful or not so powerful. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter who you are, declares the Lord. Here it is. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Nick, how in the world are you surprised by my statement that you must be born again? Not just to see it, but he, he, I love Jesus, how he, he brings him along. He says, not just to see it, but to enter this kingdom, you must be born again. Born of water and born of spirit. Now, this isn't health class, but all my mamas that are in here, and daddies, if you were in the room, there's water in a natural birth, in a physical birth. Y'all with me? 
In fact, some, some of you probably have been in those places where you might have said, my water broke. Right? That's a physical birth. And Jesus said it's not just that, but it's by the Spirit of the living God. That God himself wrought or brings forth into our hearts this conversion, this change, this regeneration that changes me. The scripture would say, I was dead in my sin. We just sang it, but then the blood of Jesus is applied to my life and what happens? There's a change. A transformation occurs. What was once dead is now alive. Living. Living. How are we going to enter this kingdom? You've got to be alive. Dead men aren't going to enter this thing. You got to be alive. How are we alive? Born from above, born by the Spirit of God. Uh, Dawson McAllister said years ago, I remember him saying, he said, if you know this Jesus, I mean K N O W, if you know Jesus personally and intimately, here it is, you will know change in your heart, your mind, your life. If you don't know Jesus, you might be extremely religious, but you don't know change. Nick is struggling here. He's confused. His theology has brought him to this place of, of where he sees the Lord at work. He sees what he's doing, but it's created this confusion in his own mind. He, he thought he had everything figured out. He thought he understood everything there was about entering into this kingdom. And yet, at this one moment, in this one night, it all comes to a head. And he's at this point where the Lord is gently calling him to the kingdom, to salvation. Yet it rubs up against everything he's ever known in his life. Thus, the confusion. Now, I will say this. The Lord is so gracious. So gracious. But I will, I will say God, that the Lord confronts Nick in his sin and his separation from the kingdom. He confronts him. In a very personal way. Verse 7. Now it gets real personal here. After he says, you, know, you should not be surprised. He says emphatically, you must. So he's gone from this comment that, hey, no one's going to see it. No one's going to enter it unless they're born again. Well, now he comes down. And, and I will say to you... and, and and you understand this. If you're born again today, if you've been born from above, if the Spirit of God has wrought change in your life, it gets real personal real quick. There's no general salvation for people. You, you, don't, you don't come to Jesus on the coattails of mom and daddy. It just doesn't happen. You can sit in church all you want and doesn't make you a Christian. Just like me sitting in your garage don't make me a car. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be a change wrought from heaven above. So Jesus, in his kindness, zeroes in on Nick. I mean, I can, just, I, can just, I can just sense this moment, right? It's gone from the miracles to what all this is happening, and then it, it just gets down real personal, and he's using that personal pronoun, you must, must be born again. R.H. Linsky writes concerning this, how... What was going through Nick in this moment? When at this moment he confronts him. He makes this comment. Jesus' word regarding the new birth shatters, shatters once for all, all the supposed excellence of man's attainment. 
What do we mean? All of his merit, all of our merit, all of Nick's merit, all of his human deeds, all of his natural birth as a Jew, or his station in life as a Pharisee or the Sanhedrin, means nothing. Spiritual birth, right? Born from above, born of the Spirit, is something one undergoes. It's not something we produce. I can't make any of you come to Christ today. I cannot. I can share the Word of God. I can share what God has said in His Word. But listen, God's knocking on doors of hearts. If He's knocking on your door this morning, I can't make you come to Christ. But listen, if you hear that, sense that, listen, it's by faith you open the door and say, God, I believe in you. I trust in you. I call upon your name, right? You can resist it. You can ask, act like He's not knocking. You can come every Sunday and hear it over and over and over again. And the people around you saying, man, she or he's a wonderful Christian. They've been here a long time. They serve in leadership. And you hear this. But you know, you know in the heart of hearts, you've never been born again. You know that. It's not me knowing it. Listen, the Spirit of God is confirming it is real or not real in your heart. Even so right now. And Nick knew something was missing. This was what's missing in his heart. And Jesus said, you must be born again. What a blow. What a blow for Nicodemus. Everything that he had built, everything that he thought was going to get him entered into this kingdom of salvation has now, at one moment, at one situation, is just blown away. He says, you must, you must, you must be born again. It was, here's what McCarthy said about that. It's absolutely necessary for Nick to get over his astonishment, his bewilderment, his shock of it all. Why? Or let me say this. His bewilderment of being so wrong in what he thought was acceptable and being accepted by God. He had to get over that. Why? Because if you don't get over that, you're not going to get there. And he said he had to get over it. Why? Because he had to come now to the place to realize, you know what? It's not about all this that I thought was right, thought was real, thought was important, thought was going to get me there. Now, this one has said, I have to be born again. That's the direction I need to move. That's a decision. He would say that was the decision Nick was confronted with in this, this moment. <clears throat> I love about this. I really do. I love this story, right? Because being religious isn't enough. As good as Nick was, as respected as he was, God loved him personally, powerfully, and relentlessly pursued him. How do I know this? Because he's coming to Jesus at night. How do I know it since then? I have met many a people that said, Jay, I was on the road heading out in the Midwest somewhere, out in the middle of nowhere, and this big old cross was on the side of the road. And God, when I saw that, God convicted me of my sin. I pulled off on the side of the road, knelt down, and confessed my sin, and Him as my Savior, and gave my life to Christ. I can't tell you how many Gideons I talked to that, that had, can bear testimony. Somebody's trying to run away from everybody and the Lord and everything. They show up in some motel room. They open up the drawer, and there's the Bible. And they open that thing up. And God uses that word to convict them of their sin. And they repent of their sin and confess Christ in that hotel room. I love this. Why? Because God loves you as much as He loves Nicodemus. He loves you. He really does. 
And he will radically pursue you. He'll come after you. He will. You think you can run away, but you can't. You can't. You can't. He'll come. He'll chase after you. He'll put a coworker that will come around you and start talking to you about Jesus. It's amazing. Some of the students here, you might have parents that don't know Christ. I don't know. But you're burdened for them. What are you going to do? You're going to leave notes for them. Right? I remember doing that with my dad early on. My dad resisted this whole thing of salvation. So I taped a little note right there. Just when he looked in that rearview mirror, he'd see it taped to the back window. So it'd make him go, what in the world is that? And he'd read it. And I bet he was going, oh, there's that boy again. He's trying to get me to come to Jesus. You do that, don't you? I mean, I mean, don't we do that? We do that, right? Why? Because we love them. God loves you. Well, you need to hear that. He's passionately going after Nick. Nick comes at night, man. Why? Because God's already at work in his heart, leading him to this place. Now, his world is falling apart. And we see not only does Jesus confront him, but we see the cry of Nick's heart here in verse 9. I mean, I hope you can hear this. It's just a simple little phrase. Nick says to him, how, and I'm going to add this, how in the world can this be? How in the world did I miss this? How in the world, maybe he's saying, how in the world can a person be born again? I'm struggling. And what I love about this, Jesus not only confronts him, but now at this point, he begins to lead him down this road. To confess him not as rabbi, but as Messiah. Not as just some good teacher, but the one and only way that you're going to enter this kingdom is through the blood of Jesus Christ, through a life-changing encounter with the living Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And he knew this, but he didn't know Jesus as Messiah. He would acknowledge him as teacher, but not as God in the flesh. So you, you see this. But what does he do? So, so in verse 9, he says, how in the world can this be? In verse 10... We see Jesus' calling of Nick unto salvation. We see he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just bring us to, the confr to confront our sin and our need for a Savior. But he gently begins to call Nick through his own scripture, through the, what we call the Old Testament, through this messianic language. And he says in verse 10, he says, you're Israel's teacher and you don't even understand these things. He said, how in the world am I going to communicate this? We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you still, you people, he's lumping all this leadership together. <clears throat> he said, you people don't even accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things you don't believe. How in the world am I going to speak to you of heavenly things? You're not going to believe that either, but he does. Hold on. He's, he's leading them somewhere. Verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. You ought to underline that in your text. It's a messianic term. Jesus used of himself. Very clearly, Nick knew this. He knew the term son of man. He knew it clearly. I know one of the Sunday school classes is in Daniel. Go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel has a vision. Listen to this. In my vision, Daniel says, At night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, all nations, all men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
This is, this is Daniel looking down the road under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, prophesying of a day where this day would come. And here's Jesus saying, I've come. To one who understood the language, he knew, that he knew this better than anybody. He knew clearly what Jesus was saying. I'm not just a good rabbi. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm the Messiah whom you're looking for, and here I am before you. He goes on. What does he do next? Out of the, out of the, you know, out of his, I mean, it's so good, right? Jesus is so good at this conversation stuff. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? So that everyone who believes in him may have everlasting life. I'm just going to go back and just share with you just real quick. You're talking about lift up the snake. What in the world does that mean? Go back to Numbers. Go back to Numbers. Right? Where is it? Somebody help me. Genesis, Leviticus. There it is, Numbers. There we go. Y'all know the song, don't you? Y'all know the song. I'm not going to ask you to quote Numbers. I know y'all quoted Ephesians the other day. But anyway, I don't think I could do this at all. All right. But I want to remind you, because I mean, because he references this. Now, look, to me and you, it may not make a whole lot of sense, but to Nick, it was clear what he was saying. Go back to Numbers chapter 21. This is where God was delivering the people. They traveled from Mount Hor, verse 4, along the route of the Red Sea. But look at this. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out here to die? There's, there's no bread, there's no water. We detest this miserable food you keep giving us. They're just whining and complaining. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and some of the Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, Oh my goodness, we've sinned, we've sinned, we've sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray to the Lord, take away the snakes. So Moses prayed, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake out of bronze. Put it on the end of a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look to it and live. In the same vein, hear me, church, we've all been bitten by sin. There's not one of us in here today that has not sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. That is not to put anybody down. That's a fact of reality. And so what is he saying to Nick in this moment? Nick, you've sinned. You've done wrong. You've missed the mark. All of your activity is not going to get you there. You're not going to measure up. You're not going to hit the bullseye. Please hear this. It's by God's grace alone that we're saved. Please hear, Nick, hear this. It's not by your activity. It's by what God did on the cross in Jesus and His resurrection that now, now forevermore, we have the opportunity, the privilege to enter into the kingdom of God. There's no other way, no other way, Nick, that you're going to get there. As that snake was lifted up, he even said, Jesus, I'm going to be lifted up. Why? So that everyone who believes in me shall have eternal life. Nick, isn't that what you want, Nick? Well, you've got to believe. You've got to trust in and rely upon me, me alone, if you want to enter into this kingdom. Gavin, if you'll come for me at this time. I love this passage of Scripture. I really do. Um, oh, Billy Graham. Some of y'all know who I'm talking about. Billy. He said, if you know John 3, 16, you know enough. That's what Billy would say if he was here with us. Verse 
It's interesting, on the heels of that statement in verse 15, Jesus proclaims to him that God so loved the world. This salvation is not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles. It's for every single person we'll ever meet. It's for, listen to me, it's for every single person here and every person you're going to meet this next week. Every person you'll ever meet, this salvation is for them. So Jesus said these statements, God so loved the world. How do we know this? That he gave his one and only son. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew he had to die on that cross to pay the penalty of sin. He, there was no other way. But here it is. Whoever, whoever, Nick, that includes you, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Nick, you've built your life on all these things over here. Now you've come to this crossroads. And Nick, some people will look at you and say that you're a great man, a good man, a spiritual man, and that you got it all together. But if we're really honest, it's void and empty and hollow. And Nick was confronted with that in that moment. But Jesus so graciously, compassionately calls Nick. He's doing the same thing today. We don't know what happened to Nick. I mean, some people probably speculate. There's history that might tell you one thing or another. But in this text, we don't see him falling on his face before the Lord, confessing belief and trust in him. Personally, I, I believe he did. But I mean, you know, I don't, I don't see it there. Probably didn't happen in this moment. I will tell you, the first time I heard the gospel, this is the first time he's heard the gospel as an adult. Rocked his world. First time I, I can tell you where I was. I was down at, uh, in Selma, Central Baptist Church. Mr. Bearden shared the gospel at the end of that Bible study class, and it rocked my world. But I couldn't walk away from it. Two weeks later, in my apartment by myself, I knelt down and cried and confessed to the Lord. And he came into my life and saved me. From that point on, it's been a different world, different life. Friend, if you're here today, please hear. Please hear the words of the Lord. If He is knocking on the door of your heart, if you can look at your life right now under the leadership and the microscope of the Holy Spirit and, and, and you can't see where God saved you, changed you, the terminology born from above where the Spirit of God came in and dwelt among you, inside of you, changing you, I didn't say that you were a heathen out here in the world running wild and then you got saved. You, you, listen, listen. my wife, if she was here, she grew up nine months in the womb in church. 
She grew up singing songs, knowing scripture from before she was ever born, all her life. So her testimony today is not one of being a heathen and coming to Christ. Her, her was, she, God prevented her from engaging in a lot of things in this world. But don't mistake this. Just because you grew up in church doesn't mean you're a Christian. There came a point in her life where she personally, like Nick, confessed Christ personally, trusted in Him as her Lord and Savior. I share that. Because I'm asking right now, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let God just, just look inside this heart. If you've never come to that place, today's the day. To, how do I know? Today, God is calling. Turn your life to Him. Now, let me say this. Some of you might be like me. I confess Christ in some apartment somewhere, but I was so unchurched as anybody. And it was sometime later, we're going to a church service, actually in Mobile, Alabama. God kept knocking, and I'm like, well, I'm already saved. What do, you, what do you want? Well, He wants you to confess that before people. He wants you to follow through in the thing called baptism. He wants you to acknowledge Him before others. And I didn't realize that at the time. It took some time. And you may be here, and you say, Jay, I gave my life to Jesus over here. Man, I'm changed. I know that. But you've never made it public. Never follow through believer's baptism. I'm talking about believer's baptism. If my mom was here, I'll talk about her. She was one that grew up in church and confessed Christ early on. But it was later on she gave her life to Christ. You know what I'm talking about? So she, I mean, I'm, as an adult, she came to the realization. I remember this. On Easter, Sunday morning, years ago, she said, Yeah, I need to be baptized. I need to follow him. But why? Because God's calling you to make that public. We don't get baptized, then get saved. We get saved, then we get baptized. Acknowledging, proclaiming to the world that I'm a changed person. Friend, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I hope, I hope, I hope. Friend, if you're here and you need, to, you need to come forward, you need to give your life to Christ, you need to follow in obedience to believers' baptism, you need to, whatever God's calling you to, listen, this altar's open, you come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, Nicodemus and the testimony here in the word of God. And I am thanking you right now, God, you're alive and well and knocking on the doors of hearts, even so right here, right now. God, I pray that you just have your way. Holy Spirit of God, in this time as we respond, in Jesus' name, amen. If you will stand with me, church. From whatever it is, whatever it is, as we sing, you come, whatever it is, altar's open for you.